Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Yeah. Is, is there anybody, because I don't just want to ask rhetorical questions, um, but is there anyone here who would say anything less than good when I ask how you're doing this morning? That would be brave enough to say me. It's okay. If you can't be honest here, I, I doubt there's many places in this earth that you can be honest, but is there anyone who would say less than good? Yeah? Can, um... Can we just ask, like, whatever that is right now, there's a promise from God that changes that. And... It's not that there's something left for God to do, but a lot of times there's something left for us to believe. That there's something that He spoke over our lives that we don't believe. If, we, if we're doing less than good, it's a lot of times because there's something in our lives that's not true that we're believing over something that He spoke that is true. And so we've fixed our eyes rather on, than on Him and His promise, and our expectation rather than on Him and His goodness. We've fixed our eyes on whatever the thing is and the problem is, and we've given that more place in our life than we've given the word that God's spoken. And so I just want to pray and ask right now that whatever it is that would cause you to say you're doing less than good right now, that God would speak to you and show you what His promise is that directly confronts that thing. Because He said that His goodness and His mercy would follow you all the days of your life and that you dwell in His house forever as long as He's your shepherd. As long as you're actually following Him. There's a caveat to that. It's not just a blank statement that says, Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in this house forever because the first, the first words that are spoken is the Lord is my shepherd. Meaning he's the one that's leading me and he's the one that I'm following. So if he's leading me and I'm following him, then he's taking me to a place. He's taking me to cool waters. He's bringing me to green pastures. And I may be in the middle of a valley right now, but I know that if I keep following him, that's not where I'm supposed to stay. That he's bringing me to a place of, of green pastures, of cool waters. That he's restoring my soul for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Because he watches over his word to perform it. And because he values his word above even his own name. That every promise of the Lord is yes and amen through Christ Jesus. And so if there is something that would make us say we're doing less than good, I just pray that God would show you what it is that you haven't believed or what you haven't seen or what you haven't known or what you've lost sight of and that He would show you how much greater what He's spoken is than anything that the world or the enemy or even our own selves has spoken to us. Because He is greater. Because there is a promise. I promise you there's a promise somewhere that speaks directly to that thing. But we can't believe it for you. He can't believe it for you. You have to actually believe that and then grab a hold of it and live as though that's true, even though what you see would deny it. For we set our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporal, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. There's a promise from an eternal God that directly confronts anything that you're seeing that would make you answer less than good. And I don't even have to know what it is, but I know that's true. So I'm just... For both of you guys, I just, God, I pray right now that, that, that however you, you do it, God, whether it's people around them, whether it's, it's just seeing something in your word, whether it's the spirit inside of them reminding them of something they've known to be true but that they've lost sight of, God, I pray that whatever it is that would confront the ability to say, good, God, that you would replace that with your truth. 
And I thank you for that, God. I thank you that you love us. That the plans and the thoughts you have for us are good because we are called according to your purpose and according to your name. And I just thank you that I can confidently say that because my trust is not in me, but in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Because I don't want to just say something and be like, how are you doing? And everyone say good and just assume that everyone's doing good. Because if you're born again and you're in Christ, you really are doing better than you know. Because He paid for everything and He called you into fellowship and relationship with Him. And the life that you live is no longer your own, but Christ living in you. So you're doing better than you understand, but sometimes we lose sight of that, and sometimes things are real. Our lives, you know, we face real things in this world, but we have to understand that there's a greater truth, even when reality doesn't line up with what He spoke, we have to choose that we're going to believe Him in the face of the thing that was causing us to see something different. That's living by faith. That's what faith truly is. It's saying, okay, I know what I see, and I know what you've said, and I have to choose which one is going to control the way that I live my life. I can only choose one a lot of times. Because a lot of times they are directly opposed to each other. A lot of times what I see and what he's said are completely at odds 100%. He said this, life says that, and I'm going to listen to one of them. And one of them is going to be the voice that I hear. One of them is going to be the thing in the back of my mind at all times. That's, worry and faith are the exact same. They're the same thing. Worry says there's something that's going to go wrong. It's in the back of my mind. And no matter what I'm doing in the course of a day, I can hear that voice speaking. Faith says there's something that's going to happen that's good. There's, he's made a promise. And no matter what I'm doing in the course of a day, there's that thing in the back of my mind that's constantly speaking. And it's which voice am I listening to? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Meaning what? There's always two voices speaking. Always. Otherwise he would have just said, my sheep hear my voice, know my voice. And they follow my voice. But he said, and the voice of the stranger they will not follow. Why? Because we're so busy listening and hearing what he's saying that it blocks out our ability to pay attention to what the enemy's saying. But the minute we stop listening to him, the minute we take our eyes off of him, suddenly there's another voice that's going to come and fill that void. There's no gap. There's no silence in your brain. You know that. There's no silence in your brain. You're always thinking about something. And the more our, the, our, our mind is filled with the thoughts of God and the truth of God's Word and what He's spoken and declared over our lives, the more that's the voice that echoes in our head, the more we stop listening, we stop hearing and stop paying attention to the other voices. But it's a choice that we make. It's not just an automatic thing. So many things in the kingdom, yet yeah, He's promised, but there's something on our end. And that's not striving and that's not legalism. That's saying, choose this day. Choose. You get to make a choice. The other day we were talking and, and, uh, and someone said, why did, you know, the, I just have the same question always pops up. Was, you know, why did God put that one tree in the garden? Why did He even give them the ability? And it's because He's always wanted us to choose. Always. It's always been His heart for us to choose Him. Always. If there's no choice then how do you know? If I snatched my wife up before we were married and took her off to an island and it was just me and her and I said, you're going to love me and you're going to be my wife, she may act like she loves me and she may act like she's my wife because she has no choice in the matter if I could control her that way. But how would I know unless I actually gave her a choice? 
How would I know that she wanted to be my wife and wanted to love me unless I got down on my knee and said, will you be my wife? Because now she has a choice. She can say yes or no. She's actually chose something. So when she says yes, I know that she's choosing to love me. And the same thing with the father. He didn't want to create robots on earth and just say, do this, do this, do this, do this, and there's no other choice. There's no other thing that you can do, so you're going to do that. He's always wanted us to choose him. It's always been that way. Well, if he knew we were going to choose to eat the fruit, then why did he put it there? Because we have to be able to separate. Our theology will never, ever, ever make sense with the Word of God until we come to be able to separate his knowledge from his will. You have to be able to understand that him knowing because he sits outside of time and sees the beginning and the end at the same time is not the same as his desire. They're not one and the same. See, we, we, don't, we can't think that way because we live linear, linearly. So that means that we don't have the ability to see the end from the beginning. And so when we put a choice in front of somebody, there really is, in our minds, two ways that they could go. And we don't know which one. And sometimes we have the ability to desire one and to be able to predict one. Like if I tell my kids, hey, I put some snacks on the table upstairs, run upstairs and get it. And there's a plate of asparagus and there's a plate of Oreos on the table. I promise you they're going to choose the Oreos. And even though I knew that, they still had a choice. And that's just me with human reasoning. God actually does 100% know because before He put the snacks on the table, He already saw them come upstairs and take the Oreos because He's outside of time and sees everything at once. But there was still a choice in the matter. It's Jesus on a hill. Jesus is the express will of the Father. The exact representation of His character and nature into our Bibles. And yet he's on a hill saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. There was something I wanted, but you chose not to. And because of that, I'm up here with no chicks under my wings. Instead, I'm weeping for you. We have to see that. We have to see Jesus in the garden. God, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Why? He was so human that he actually had a will that he had to surrender to the will of the Father. And if Jesus had a will that had to be surrendered to the Father, I promise you, every other human being on the face of this earth has the same. Because he's the only one who was actually born perfect. He's the only one who was actually fathered by the Holy Spirit, literally fathered by the Holy Spirit, coming into a woman. And yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In that instance in the garden, there was two wills. That's why a theology that says there's no, only the will of God is completely false because Jesus from his own mouth declared there was his will and there was the Father's will. You have to choose. He'll tell you which one to choose. I put before you this day a choice. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Choose life that I might bless you. 
It's a pop quiz and then he gives you the answer. It's, it's, not a, you know, it's not hard. He wants you to pass the test. He's not in heaven wondering if you're going to pass or fail, hoping you fail so he can zap you. He's in heaven saying, you're going to face tests. There's going to be choices and I'm going to tell you which one to choose. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and he's going to be speaking. That's why he says, my sheep hear my voice, know my voice, and the voice of stranger they will not follow. Why? Because we're following him. He's always speaking but it's up to us to actually hear and then do what He says. That's obedience. That's not striving. That's saying, I trust you more than anything I would feel, see, or think at the moment. And so even when I don't feel, think, or see that this is the best, I'm going to trust that you know more than I do. I'm going to lean not into my own understanding, but in all my ways I'm going to acknowledge you and trust that you will direct my paths. That's Scripture. And he wouldn't encourage us to not lean on our own understanding if it wasn't possible for us to do so. You can lean on your own understanding. You can, in all your ways, choose not to acknowledge him and head down a path he has no intention of you heading down. And then to blame him and say, I guess this is just what God wanted for my life. No, it's not, because he told you in the beginning not to do it. If I tell my kids, don't go outside, it's raining, you're going to get soaking wet. And they run outside and they get soaking wet. They can't say, I can't believe dad doesn't love us enough to keep us dry. No, dad loves you enough that he wants you to stay dry, that he told you not to go out there, but he can't violate your choice. And if you choose to go outside and get soaking wet, the consequence is not my fault because I told you not to do it to begin with. But what I will do is offer you a warm house and dry clothing the second you want to turn and listen to what I told you. And welcome you back in and restore you to how you were before you went out there because I love you. And because no matter what you do, I never stop loving you and you never stop being my child. But there are certain things that are only available when you're in the domain of the king that you leave behind when you head outside of that. It's the prodigal son. Here we go. Ready? It's the prodigal. I can feel it now. I know where we're supposed to go. (laughs) Um... I'm up here just sifting a lot of times, you know, and just saying what I hear him saying and trying to find the thread, and here it is. So the prodigal son leaves the home of the father, right? He says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Jesus is telling this parable. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son came to the father and said, Father, give me what is rightfully mine. And so the father gave to the son his inheritance. And the son took off, left the house, left the father, left behind everything, and headed off to another city far away. Why does it say another city? Because it's wanting you to know it actually left where the father's dominion is. It went to another place, another location where the Father is not. Okay? Yeah, I know God's a, uh, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But his kingdom and his domain is only where he is. In, in, in so much as there's a, a place... Well, we'll get to that. Hold on. So anyways, the son heads off and he takes what he has from the Father. Now that will last him for a little while. And he makes his way to a city far away, and he spends what he has. How many of you know that like, the second you walk away from his will for your life, you don't immediately always feel the effect the second that you walk away? Why? Because you have something you're taking with you. 
Because you've walked with Him for a time. Because you've positioned yourself and He's placed you in places. And you have friends and you have relationships and you have people around you. And there's this effect of the, there's just the wind of heaven at your back. And so the second you walk away from the kingdom, you don't immediately feel the effect. Just like the second Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't instantly drop dead. Jesus, he, God said to them, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But they ate the fruit and they didn't instantly die. At least not that they could tell. But something did. Something changed the minute they did. Something changed the minute you started walking outside of the will of God for your life and outside of obedience to Him. And even if you don't feel it immediately, I promise you, it's changed. So he heads off to the city. He spends everything that he has. And suddenly he finds himself in a position of being bankrupt. So he decides he's going to hire himself out. He's going to try to gain what he got for free from the Father by working for it on his own outside of relationship with the Father. It doesn't work. There is no way to receive the benefit of living in the Father's house and then being in the kingdom outside of living in the kingdom, no matter how hard you work for it outside of him. So he goes to work and he works hard. There's a lot of people who are working really hard to try to gain something that can only be gained through relationship. With, 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 with good intentions. Like he comes to the end of himself and he no longer has the ability to live off of the Father's wealth and off the Father's provision. And he realizes I need to provide for myself. I give him that much credit, right? Like at least he didn't sit down and say, I guess I'll just beg. He goes to work and he does a hard job feeding pigs all day long out in the slop with nothing to eat. Why? Because no matter what you're doing and no matter how hard you're working, you will never find what it is you're looking for outside of him. He gets to a place where he looks around and he envies the food that the pigs have. Why? He's starving. He's working so hard, but he's starving. And he comes to his senses. He says, don't the servants in my father's house eat better than this? Don't the least in my father's house have more than I have. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I see that he's there and I'm here and I need to be there. So I'm going to go back. But he doesn't understand the father's heart towards him. Like so many people, he thinks I have to go back to him, but there's no way that he'll accept me on the terms that I left. So I'm going to work my way back. I'm going to earn a place back in his house. I'll go to him and I'll say, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired hands. That's his plan. I'm going to go back to him, but I know that he's not going to want to accept me back as a son. So I have to try to make something in it for him so that he'll want me back. Why? Because we, if we're not operating in the love of God, will make people earn back the love that they feel like they've lost when they do something to wrong us. And so because we are that way, we project that onto others so many times. What is he saying? He's saying, if I was my father and my son did to me what I did to him, there's no way I'd just welcome him back. He'd have to earn it. He'd have to work for it. And I don't know if I would ever let him back to the position he had before he left. See, he's projecting onto the Father. But he doesn't understand the love that the Father has for him. So he can't earn it on his own. Now he decides he's going to try to earn it in the kingdom. 
I'll go back to him and I'll say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired hands. So he has a plan. And he starts walking back towards the father's house. Now while he's a great way off, the father was on the porch, sees him. How does the father see him when he's so far away? He's looking for him. He's not inside offended. He's not sitting on a throne angry. He's on a porch hopeful. Confident. Trusting. That one day what he knew about the Father would be enough to bring him back to that place when he came to the end of himself. You know, there's a lot of people that really need to come to the end of themselves. I did. I had to go out from underneath the protection of my parents' home, the peace that was provided there. I had to go out and find what the life that I was living would truly lead me to until I came to a place where I understood how much better it was in my parents' house. Literally. So he comes to the end of himself. And while he's a great way off, the father sees him. Because the father is not inside mad. He's not inside offended. He's not inside with a grudge list and a list of things that he's going to make the son do if that worthless son of mine ever tries to come back while he thinks he's just going to come. He's not doing that. He's not making a list and checking it twice. That's Santa Claus. That's not Father God. Hey, you'd be surprised how many of our kids are prepared for legalism because they believe that there's this mythical creature that lives in the sky, can be everywhere at once and sees everything people do and keeps a list and gives to them what they, re- what they deserve based on their behavior. Sounds a lot like the God that's presented to a lot of us. We teach our kids that, and then religion comes along and teaches our kids that that's who God is. It's a good thing that you don't get what you deserve from your parents at Christmas or from the Father. It's a good thing that you get what He deserves because He took what you deserve. That's amazing grace. So the Father sees the Son walking. The Son's walking up the path. He has this rehearsed line. How many of you guys have ever been in a position where you feel like you're going to go to somebody and you're going to talk to them, especially someone maybe that you've wronged and you've already rehearsed what you're going to say to them? How many of you guys have ever done that before? Yeah, you practiced it before you got there. I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say this. And it's always this groveling thing, right? Like, You understand that like the most offensive thing the son could ever do was the thing he was about to do, not the thing he had already done? Because he was about to tell the father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know what would break the father's heart way more than the son leaving and going and spending his inheritance? It's the son losing sight of who he was and thinking there was something he could do that would lose the spot he had in his father's heart. He thinks it's the way back. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what the most absolutely heartbreaking thing would be to me is if one of my children ever came to me and said, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your child anymore because of what I've done. You know what my response would be? I wouldn't even let them finish before I wrapped my arms around them and explained to them that who they were had nothing to do with what they had done.
I know it would because that was the response of our father to the prodigal son. He, says, he comes running up and, he, and, and says, and while he's a great way off, the father ran to him, right? The father is like, I can't wait to get him back. He is coming back. His heart is turned towards me and I'm going to meet him where he is. Now notice one thing. You know, there's this thing of you know, God meets you where you are. He does, but it's always to take you to where he wants you. Him meeting you where you are isn't him saying, it's okay, stay here, son. It's him saying, I see where you are. I'm going to come meet you where you are, but it's always to take you where I want you to be. It's never to give you permission to just stay there. God meeting you where you are isn't God saying, it's okay, stay here. It's God saying, I see where you are, and I see where I want you to be, and I'm going to take you from here to there because I have no interest in you staying out here on the path thinking that you're no longer worthy to be called my son for even another second. If our representation of the gospel to people doesn't tell them, listen, God, it loves you right where you are, but he has so much better for you, it's a perversion of the gospel and it's giving people permission to live less than the life that Christ died for them to live. And that's tragic. That's perversion. Repentance is not say you're sorry. Repentance is change the way you think. Why? Because if you change the way you think, you'll change the way that you live. There may be tears. There may be apologizing. There may be asking forgiveness and all that stuff involved in repentance, but that alone is not the act of repentance. Repentance is, means that because I see the, the truth, because I understand that what I did is less than what you have, I'm sorry and I don't want to do that again and I can now see truth and now I'm going to walk by truth instead of what I was believing before that led me to where I was. That's true repentance. Repentance means, very simply in the original language, to change the way that you think. That's it. And if we present people the apology without the change, if we present them with a prayer rather than what the prayer is supposed to lead them into, we're doing them a disservice. And it may be really easy and it may feel really good to say this many people got saved because this many people felt bad for what they did and apologized. But if, we're not, if that's meeting them on the path, But if we're not putting the robe around them, if we're not putting the ring on their finger, if we're not offering them the slippers and bringing them into the father's house like the father did with his son, then we're doing them a disservice and we're leaving them on the path feeling like where they're at is the best that they could be and it's okay to stay there. The father never once thought it was okay for the son to stay there, but he did go meet him where he was. What does that mean? We need to be watching with our eyes to see people who are far away off and when we find them, we can go to them where they are, but never to stay there. The father had no intention of staying there. So the son starts to spiel as the father comes up to him. You know what that's like. You've done it before. I've done it before. You, you already practiced what you're going to say. You feel horrible about what you've done. And so when you see them, you're going to say this. And he doesn't even get the whole thing out of his mouth. I'm no longer worried. And the father sees where his heart is and thinks, oh my gosh. Worse than him spending all that he had. He's forgot who he is. Money can be made. The money that was spent probably was already replaced. His father was a wealthy man. 
in the time that the son was gone, the father probably earned back everything that was lost and then some. That wasn't a concern to the father at all, but what was a concern to him was he's forgot who he is. And he doesn't think that he's worthy to be called my son anymore. And he won't even let him finish. He cuts him off. Why? He has no interest in hearing your way and your plan of how you're going to get back into his kingdom on your own and through your own good works. None. Because that isn't how you got there to begin with. It certainly isn't how you're going to get back. You ever been there where you feel like you have to be good for a certain amount of time before you could dare to even try to pray to the Father? What a lie from hell. Because all that's revealing is that I think it was my good works that got me there to begin with and it's my good works that get me back to where I thought I was to begin with. Because there was nothing that you could do that was good enough to make you born again, to make you holy, to make you saved before you became a new creation in Christ. Nothing. All of your good works were like filthy rags. That is true. So why on earth do we have no problem believing the opposite could be true? Why do we identify with the prodigal son who goes out and does something wrong and feel like that because I went out and did something wrong, it's changed the way the Father feels about me and it changed who I am and my identity. And I'm no longer what I once was. I'm only this now. I'm a lesser station in life because of the things that I did wrong. Why would we believe that? Why? Because there's no way for a servant to work his way into becoming a son, then there's probably no way for a son to mess his way up into being called a servant. We have no problem believing the first one. We have no problem telling people there is nothing on our own that we can do that's good enough to ever earn our way into the kingdom of God. But we have so much problem believing that there is nothing that we could ever do once we've become born again that would change the way God feels about us and who He's called us to be. And I think this story demonstrates so beautifully the heart of the Father. All it took was what? One thing. The Son repenting. That's repentance. I see something. I realize the lie. I see the truth. And because the way that I think has changed, I come out of the pig slop. Why? Not because I'm trying to come out of the pig slop. Not necessarily. His goal wasn't, I need to get out of the pig slop. His goal was, I need to get into the Father's house. So the way that he thinks is now changed. And because the way that he thinks has changed the way that he acts changes and he starts his walk back towards the father and the father sees him coming from a long way off and he runs to him and he cuts the son off and he puts a robe around his finger. What's he saying? I mean, a robe around his, his body. What's he saying? Here's your identity, son. Here's the coat. When people see you, you're covered in something that I gave you, letting them know that you're mine. Here's your identity. It was never lost. It was always here waiting for you. Puts a ring on his finger. What's that mean? Everything I have is yours. What's he telling him? You haven't lost a single thing that you had access to before you left. All that I have is still yours. Puts shoes on his feet. What's he saying? You're never ever to walk the way that you walked when you were away from me ever again. And before you get back into the house, I'm going to put shoes on your feet so that from here to the house, you don't pick up any additional dirt because of all the stuff that was on you beforehand. I have no interest in you bringing that back into the life that I have for you. 
I have no intention of you bringing back anything from that life. Why? Because there's no place for it in his kingdom. But all that said, he says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. There's going to be music and there's going to be dancing. Listen, if you don't believe in music and dancing, it's okay. But don't think he doesn't. Because it was the father's house that the servant, from a great ways off, it's loud too. You're like, your sounds, it's loud in here. I know. It was so loud that while they were a great way off, it says that the son heard music and saw dancing in his father's house. In his father's house. Who's the father in this story? A mean old man that hasn't got born again yet that allows people to dance? It's God. Jesus was perfectly okay with people having loud music and dancing in his father's house. We should probably be okay too. It may not be your style. That's okay. My parents, like I know for a fact that the loud music and all that stuff isn't their style. My mom and dad are here today, by the way. I, I love that. They are. They are the most awesome people. For real. And, and I know that that's not like their style. You know, they like a different style of music just like some of you guys do. But, and it's okay to say that's not my style, but it's not okay to say that's not his style. And that's not okay for anybody. Because Jesus was certainly okay with it being in his father's house. And I do think there's going to be a lot of people that are surprised when they get to heaven. At how loud it is and how much people dance. Because he told them, it wasn't, it wasn't the heathens down the street through a party. Jesus said, I mean, the Father said, according to Jesus, we're going to celebrate because this son of mine who was dead is now alive, who was lost is now found. It's the Father's orders. So, in all of that, Did he ever stop being a son? Ever. It's not a trick question. Did the father ever stop thinking he was his son? No. Did he ever stop having access to every single thing that the father had? Did he ever lose the ability to access to everything the father had? Did he ever lose who he was? Did any of that ever change? Kind of. Because there's no way to access everything the Father has until you're in the Father's kingdom. Because while he was living with the pigs, he was actually literally starving. And he couldn't get what the Father had until he went to where the Father was. The idea that disobedience can't cost you if you're born again is so far from truth. It's such a perversion. It, listen, lukewarm Christianity is not in the Bible. That's the term we came up with to make us feel better. Jesus never said lukewarm Christianity. He said, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. That doesn't sound like because you're lukewarm Christians. That sounds like because I can't stand the way that you're living, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. And we call it lukewarm Christianity as if to say like, well, you know, some people are just really extreme Christians and then there's like lukewarm Christianity. 
I don't think God calls walking like Jesus extreme. I don't think he calls it radical. I don't think he has like levels of like Christianity. Like, you know, well, well, they believed enough to eventually one day get to heaven and that's all I want from them. But this person over here, they believe enough that they actually fast and pray and they communicate the gospel to people. And then there's the radicals. I don't think that God has that. I think that's a system that we've set up to make us feel better about wherever we've chose to settle in our walk with him. But I don't think it's his will. So the son has to come back to where the father is. He has to come back to living in obedience. As long as he's living in disobedience with his face set away from the father and walking in disobedience and walking in his own will and not the will of the father for his life, which is his choice, he actually suffers for his disobedience. 100%. This is a story Jesus told in the New Testament of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he lives outside of the will of the Father and he suffers for it because there's always a wage for uh, the wage of sin is always death. Something's always dying if we're walking away from the will of the Father in our lives. And for us to accept a message of grace that's so cheap that says it doesn't matter what you do, there's nothing that could ever affect you, there's no harm, there's no there's no punishment, there's none of this stuff, right? Like perfect love casts out all fear. That's true. And Jesus also said, who is he that loves me? Jesus said this. He who keeps my commands. So if I'm walking as he's called me to walk, I'm walking in perfect love. There is no fear of punishment. There's no fear of any of that stuff. Why? When the son was in the father's house, he wasn't afraid of starving and having to live with the pigs. But the second he walks away from the Father's house, suddenly the reality becomes, okay, if you're going to walk away from this, then you have to do it on your own. And you have to live by the sweat of your brow. And you've stepped out of what I've called you into, and you will go and find the end of yourself. Why? He's so confident that someday you'll understand it's so much better where he is that he'll let you walk away from it to experience that. Confident in this, he's on the porch believing that you're going to turn and come back And the second that he sees that you've turned back towards him, he runs to where you are and he leads you to where he always wanted you to be. Here's that transition point. (laughs) I'm going to save the rest of this next week um, this is the, uh, I, I'm not saying this stuff today to try to scare anybody into wanting to go back to the father's house fear is a horrible motivator but I am saying it's better there I am saying that it's better in his kingdom than it is in the kingdom of this world I am saying that the reward of obedience is so much better than the wage of sin. I am saying that as a born-again believer, you can actually choose to live in a way inconsistent with who He's called you to be. And it doesn't change who you are, but it certainly changes the way that you live. The Father never stopped calling Him a son. Ever. What did He say? He said, My son has come home. 
What's he saying? He says it out loud in front of the son. Why? He wants the son to know. You, I have never changed who I've called you. I never said this servant of mine. I'm not going to stop calling you my son just because you've gone out and done something against what I wanted you to do. The second he turns back to him, he says, let's kill the fatted calf and tell everybody that we're going to celebrate for this son of mine has come home. But I am saying this. If you choose to walk away from that, and if you choose to live willfully outside of His will for your life, there's a place that you can find yourself that's not where He desires for you to be, but is very real. And the only way to get back to where the way that He wants you to live is to actually turn back and go towards Him and actually live inside of His will, because then you're inside of the kingdom of God. Outside of His will, I promise you, you're living in the kingdom of this world. There's two kingdoms. And you get to choose this day whom you'll serve. And you get to choose this day which one you're going to live in. I just don't ever want us as a house to get to a place where we've let the message of grace make us think that it's okay to go and just do anything that we want to do. If you're following the voice of the Lord, absolutely do whatever you want because He puts desires in your heart and your wants will line up with His wants. But I'm telling you this, there's another voice out there speaking and if we're not listening to His voice, we'll start hearing that voice. And if, as soon as we start hearing that voice, if we start doing the things that that voice is speaking, it can take us to a place where we end up with pigs covered in slop and needing to get back to our Father's house. It's just the truth. I know, it's not, it's not super flowery, but it's truth. If Jesus thought it was important enough to talk about it, we should probably think it's important enough to talk about it. Because we love the idea that there was a party. We love the idea that he gave him a robe and a ring. But sometimes we neglect the fact that he actually, actually turned from where he was and start walking back towards the father's house and actually set his heart back towards being a son and walking and living as a son before the father ran to him where he was. You notice the father didn't go to him while he was in the slop. It's always troubled me. Like, why didn't God just... He knew where he was. He's God, right? Why didn't he go to him where he was in the slop? Why? Because he has no interest in pulling you out of something until you have an interest in being pulled out. He has no interest in forcing you back into the house until you actually want to be back into the house. He's not going to change you while you're there not wanting to be changed. But He will come find you the second you say that you want to be. I walked into my parents' house one night. I, I left my parents' house. I left a piece of my parents' house. My, my mom told me because of the things I was doing, I had to leave. And I still remember what she said. She said I said, you're kicking me out? She said, I'm kicking that out. And if you want to go with it, then you go with it. But that can't stay. you're kicking me out throw everything that I owned which was mostly stuff they'd given me anyways I took all that was mine right from them and I threw it in my truck and I went in just like the prodigal son I went and wasted everything that I had in my life chasing after something that would never satisfy me until one day on a three-day binge when I found myself at the point where I felt like I was going to die I realized it was way better at my parents house I don't want to die here in this place I'm going to go back to my parents' house. I didn't have any illusions of going back and like 
having my life changed or any of that stuff. I just knew that if I was going to die, I didn't want to die there. I wanted to die in my parents' house because it was better there. I broke into the back door at 3 in the morning. I snuck in, and it smelled like home. And there was a peace there that I hadn't experienced since I'd left there. I snuck into the bathroom because that's where you go when you need to look into the mirror and when you feel like you're going to die, I guess. And I look in the mirror, and it looks like Satan looking back at me with dreadlocks and gold teeth. And all I said was, God, if you're real, change me or let me die. Can't live like this. What was that? That was me saying, it's better in my father's house. That was me understanding that what I was looking for couldn't be found in the pig pen. And what did he do? Even though I didn't have my theology correct, even though what I was saying to him wasn't exactly perfect, just like what the son was saying to the father wasn't exactly perfect. The son was all jacked up in his thinking. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be as one of your hired servants. His thinking wasn't perfect, but his heart was. And that's what he was concerned with. It wasn't that he had, my son has everything figured out and he said everything perfectly. It was simply this. My son wants to be where I want him to be. I'm going to go get him and bring him there. And just like that, the father who's been on the porch this whole time watching for me sees me take a step out of the pig pen and set my heart back towards him. I said, God, I believe you're real. I mean, I grew up believing he was real. Either change me or let me die. And he did both. And the old me died. And the new me that changed me walked out into the hallway and there's my mom standing there at 3 o'clock in the morning. And she said, God woke her up and said, her son's come home. She gave me a big hug. She put the robe back around me. What was the first word she spoke to me? Your son's come home. Why did God have her say, your son's come home? Because he wanted me to know she still called me her son, even if I didn't think I was where he could be. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Father. You know how you've been living. You know what's wrong. You see everything wrong, and you put yourself in a position and saying, if that was me, I probably wouldn't still call them my son. I probably wouldn't still put my arms around I probably wouldn't still accept them. They've done all these horrible things. And the first thing that God has my mom say to me is, he woke me up and said, your son's come home. What did that say to me in that instant? It was this. She still calls me her son, and so does he. And her arms went around me, and we prayed. And my life has never been the same. But what didn't she do? She didn't come find me where I was and tell me it was okay to stay there. She let me come to the end of myself until I realized that there was a better way. (laughs) I, I can only imagine. And I pray that I never have to experience that. But I pray that if I ever found myself in that place that I would trust him enough that I would actually allow my child to come to the end of themselves so that he could call them back. Listen, at any point in that journey, the son could have turned and went back to the father's house and the response of the father would have been the same. 
listen to me, whether you're one step away from walking in obedience to Him or you feel like you've been living with the pigs for years, the second right now that you turn your heart back towards Him and say, I just want to be in my Father's house. You don't have to have your theology all correct. He can work on that. He can straighten all that out. All He's looking for is a heart that wants to be with Him. That's it. That's all He wants. It's just a heart that wants to be with Him that says it's better there than where I am. He'll come find you. He'll meet you where you are. And He'll take you to where He wants you to be. But He won't snatch you out and force you to come. So I'm just going to close up with this. There was a time where the Son was one step out of the Father's house. Think about that. He'd already decided in his heart what he was going to do. All that was left now was for him to act on it. There was a time where he was just one foot out of the Father's domain, out of the Father's property. One foot. How easy it would have been for him to at that moment turn and say, wait a minute, where I'm headed is no good. It's better where I was. That's how it happens, right? It's not like he, he didn't leave the house and end up, the next step was in the pig slop. I didn't leave my parents' house and end up in the place that I was. It started on a journey of leaving the house and then one step led to another that led to another that led to another and pretty soon I was so far from where I started it felt like I could never get back. How easy would it have been for that instance when I was one step away to just say, wait a minute, hold on. I haven't even spent anything yet. I haven't even lost anything yet. But I'm in my heart deciding that I'm going to and I'm headed towards a place that's not good and He wants me in a place that is. How easy would it have been for in that moment for the sun to just turn back and it would have been no big thing. It wouldn't have been hard. It would have been one step back and He would have been right where God wanted Him to be. One step. And that's all the enemy's interested in. Is if he can get you to take that first step and stay there long enough. See, because when the son left, he took what was the father's. He took what he had of the father's with him. Meaning that he wasn't instantly broke. He wasn't instantly needing a job in the pigs. Why? It was enough to keep him going to get him far enough away that he ended up somewhere he never thought he would be. And I'm just saying, if there's anybody in here that feels like maybe they're one step, not that you're not saved, he never stopped being his son. But you're not living in what he has for you. And the way that you're headed certainly doesn't have what he wants for you. And eventually you may end up in a place you never thought you would end up with pigs. Covered in what happens when pigs eat. And nothing to eat of your own. Don't wait till that point. Don't wait to that point. In fact, if you're on the lawn looking in that direction, turn around and head back in the house where he is. If you're on the front porch looking out towards the path that leads to the lawn, that leads to the gate, that leads to the path, that leads to the city far away, turn around and head back in the house. Run to him. If you're standing at the door inside the house that leads to the porch, that leads to the path, and on and on. 
run to his room where he is. See, it doesn't matter how far or how close, you can always run to him and be closer. Always. But I do feel like maybe there's some people in here, because I didn't plan to preach this message, but maybe there's some people in here and you feel like you're maybe one step out. Just one step out. Just one little compromise. The next step you take is super important because it either takes you farther away or closer to and back where you belong. Super important. And I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up or do any of that stuff because I know full well that a lot of people are worried about what other people think, but I am asking you to turn your heart towards him right now because while man's busy looking at the outside, right now he's looking at your heart and all he's looking for is a heart that's turned towards him. He'll come find you where you are. He'll remind you of who you are. He'll remind you of what he has for you and he'll bring you back to that place where you can live in his best. And you don't have to work for it. In fact, he won't hear a word of it if you try to. you're a son, you're a daughter. God, I just thank you right now for your voice calling us into more. God, that no matter where we are, if our back is towards you, even if we're still on the grounds, God, that we would turn back towards you and run to where you are. God, I pray right now that nobody would believe the lie that you've changed your mind about who they are, that you call them anything other than your son or your daughter. I pray right now, God, that none of us would get caught into trying to work for something that can only be freely received. I pray that nobody in the hearing my voice right now would be deceived enough to think that they've done anything that has caused you to change your mind change their place in your heart, change your desire for their life. I also pray, God, that we would never be comfortable in the crap. That we would never be comfortable with the pigs. That we would never make a home outside of your kingdom. That we would never be satisfied while living outside of your will for our lives, but that we would always find ourselves hungry for something that only you can provide. So I just pray, God, that you make us miserable. Allow us to be miserable outside of your will. Allow us to, to feel, God, what it's like to not walk in your will for our lives so that we would run back to you knowing that it was better in your house. That better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.